Hello and welcome to Eerie Earth. I'm your host Kieran and I'll be guiding you on your journey through the paranormal. Together we will learn about hauntings, dark tales and much more. So sit back, relax and join me as we explore this Eerie Earth. In this episode I will take you to the winding warren of tunnels that stretch underneath the massive metropolis of London to tell you four short stories of ghosts that plague the London underground. London, England's capital city. This thriving metropolis is home to over 8 million people of different creeds and races all living together. Going about their daily business, going to work and to the pub, totally unaware that beneath their feet in the miles of tunnels that make up the London underground are tales of spectres and gruesome murders and suicides. Every single day, Londoners will enter the many stations dotted around the city, oblivious to the ghosts that could be sharing their journey with them. The dark figure of bank and monument. One cold, wet October night in 1996, Roger, a security guard working for British Transport, was making his way down the broken tiled steps into Bank Station to begin his shift. He put his belongings into his locker and went into the security office. As he entered the room, his colleague Dave, who was a rotund man with a bushy moustache, a balding head and a portly belly that spewed over his trousers, turned to greet him, raising his stained coffee cup. Roger laid his keys and his badge down on the console which lined the wall and sat down on a creaky wheeled chair which moved underneath his weight. He filled in all the paperwork he needed to and began to watch the monitors which hung on the walls above him. Their grainy images flashing pictures of hundreds of people milling around the platform waiting to get on the train, cramming into the large metal tube like sardines going on a day trip. Several hours passed and Dave had bid his farewells and gone home after a long 12 hour shift, leaving Roger alone in the security room. As the night dragged on, the station began to get quieter and quieter with less people coming in to use the train, save from the odd person running to catch the last train home, hoping in vain that they didn't miss it. It would put a smile on Roger's face when he would see the person pounding the tiles towards the platforms and he would make bets with himself as to whether they would make it or not, just to pass the time. As the last passengers left the station, he left the office and made his way up the long escalator to the top of the station, past the empty ticket booths and the newsstands to the gate. He pulled it across the sound of scraping metal screeching through the station, echoing off the walls. He sighed with relief that he was now on his own and made his way back down the escalator which he had turned off, his footsteps clanging on the large metal steps. He passed posters of theatre shows which were playing in the West End and thought to himself that he needed to book a ticket at some point. He reached the office again, opening the door and sitting back in the chair, sighing as the night dragged on. After the last train departed the station, Roger looked over at the clock and it read midnight. Time for a coffee and a cigarette, he thought to himself as he stood up, stretched and poured pitch black water into his coffee stained mug added a splash of milk turning the dark water sickly caramel colour. He removed a cigarette from a crushed packet in his pocket and put it in his mouth lighting it, inhaling the smoke and letting out a deep breath, filling the air with a thick plume of smoke. He turned back to the monitor sitting down in the chair and watched as a large dark figure appeared on the centre camera which pointed towards the corridor which was right outside the security room. He stared at the black mass as it moved from right to left, the smoke hanging in the room stinging his eyes as he stared at the screen. 
The cigarette was balanced on his bottom lip as he watched the figure appear on another monitor and fade away before his eyes. He quickly jumped up, spilling his hot coffee on the floor, smashing his mug, and he darted for the door. He threw the door open to be greeted with silence. The wind blowing through the empty station. Nothing. No sign of the black figure anywhere. Without looking, he fumbled for his torch and his keys and left the security room in search of the mysterious figure. His heart was pounding in his chest and his mouth was as dry as the Sahara. He patrolled the tunnels, his footsteps echoing through the darkness. As he approached the platform, he could hear a very strange sound resonating from the tunnel, bouncing off the tiles and into his ears. The sound of maniacal sobbing. Sweating, shaking and barely able to breathe, Roger approached the empty platform. Before turning to his right onto the platform, he took a deep breath, his back against the wall. He waited a few moments to see if the sobbing would stop, but it didn't. And he peered around the corner. He could see the edges of a dark figure at the end of the platform. Confused and slightly scared, he stepped forward. In front of him stood a large figure of a nun, her head in her hands sobbing loudly, the sound filling the station. Roger stared in stunned silence at the ghostly figure and stammered to ask if she was okay. As the words stumbled out of his mouth, the sound stopped. The figure turned to Roger. Her face was pale and her eyes were dark pools of dread. He could see tears streaming down her face. She outstretched her arm and moved closer to him, letting out a pained and sorrowful cry and disappeared as she reached him, sending Roger to the floor on his rear end. Roger clambered to his feet and ran back to the office, his heavy footsteps pounding the tiles. As he turned the corner, he slipped, sliding on the tiles and crawled back to his feet, rushing towards the safe space of the security room. He burst through the door, slamming the door shut, throwing himself against it and sliding down to the ground, rubbing his face, trying to comprehend what he had just saw. The rest of the shift consisted of Roger staying in the office, refusing to leave the safeness of the room, until 7am when it was time to open the gate and the station was a bustling hive of activity once again. A few days passed and Roger had not told anyone of his encounter, worried they would not believe him or they would mock him. He quietly did some research into who the nun could have been and discovered reports of a nun who had died of a broken heart. She had heard news of her brother's death. It said that her brother worked at the Bank of England and was hung for embezzlement. She haunts the station as she would wait at the bank station for her brother's return from work. The Mysterious Screaming Woman of Farringdon Station The sun has set over London in the cold February of 2001 when Harold arrived at Farringdon Station for his shift in the tunnels underneath the busy street above. It was his job to maintain the tracks and the wiring of the tunnels to ensure a smooth running of the service. The only time he was able to complete his job was in the dead of night when the last train left the station. He knocked on the metal gate that led down to the station and waited for the security guard to open up. Around him the street had begun to fill up with nighttime revelers making their journeys to the various pubs surrounding the station, drunken conversations filling the air. Eventually the guard came and opened the gate and Harold made his way down the tiled steps and into the winding tunnels of the station. 
He dropped his stuff off in the staff room and got into his high-vis jacket and, armed with his torch and helmet, made his way to the platform, greeting his colleagues who were doing the same. It was a normal shift, a team of around 20 people all working in the darkness of the tunnel, lit only by their headlamps and the odd standing floodlight that only lit parts of the tunnel. The rest covered in a thick shadow where anything could be lurking. The crackling sound of the portable radio that was sitting on a box against the wall filled the air and the chatter of the crew echoed through the tunnel. Harold was a big man, muscles protruding underneath his suit-covered t-shirt. Tattoos covered his dark skin, barely visible underneath the suit which built up on his arms. As he walked along the tunnel, checking the track for any inconsistencies or damages, the light from his torch, his only light source, thoughts of his bed and a nice warm cup of tea were dancing in his mind tiredness creeping up on him. He passed a couple of his colleagues who were studying a frayed wire closely, discussing what they needed to do with it. The further along the tunnel he went, darkness began to envelop him. The stillness was palpable. It felt like the air was getting thicker and the temperature began to drop. The tunnel was eerily quiet. For a moment Harold reveled in the peace and quiet, enjoying the time alone, when he was filled with a feeling of dread and foreboding. An ice-cold shiver ran down his spine to his feet. He spun around, shining his torch at every wall and further back along the tunnel. His colleagues had gone, leaving him entirely alone in this part of the tunnel. Echoes of distant talking could barely be heard as he continued along the tunnel, his pace quickening, muttering the lines to one of his favourite songs as he walked. After a few minutes, the feeling of nervousness and foreboding had eased slightly. Harold happened across a piece of track which needed some attention. He sighed and placed his torch in his mouth and removed a pen and a pad from his pocket and began to make notes on the location of the track and what needed doing to it. When his pen lifted off the paper when he was finished writing, a string of ink dripped from the nib. A loud female scream filled the air and echoed through the tunnel. The scream continued for several seconds, causing a slight ringing in Harold's ears. He stopped and stared into the darkness, his torch still in his slack-jawed mouth, barely able to stay in. For the few seconds which felt like a lifetime, Harold was frozen. The sound of his heart beating loudly in his chest was the only sound he could hear. As he battled with the thoughts in his head as to what caused the sound, he found he could move again. Removing the torch, he shone it through the pitch-black tunnel, partly wanting to find the source of the sound, but also hoping that he would not witness anything. Nothing. An empty tunnel was the only thing he could see through the beam of the torch. He swallowed loudly and stood up straight, breathing a sigh of relief. Against every fibre in his being, he managed to get his legs to carry him through the darkness of the tunnel towards his colleagues. As he ran, the beam of the torch swayed in his arms, illuminating several areas of the tunnel. He could hear the scream again from the darkness behind him, getting closer, following him. Eventually, with his chest burning and his legs like jelly, he made it back to the entrance of the tunnel, where his colleagues were sitting on the edge of the platform, the beam of the torch shaking in his hand. He swallowed hard as a bitterly ice-cold feeling enveloped his body. He tried to run, tried to get away, but his legs would not comply. The scream came again, filling every inch of the darkness, chilling Harold to the bone. A blood-curdling scream. A 
Against every fiber in his being, he managed to get his legs to carry him through the darkness of the tunnel towards his colleagues. As he ran, the beam of the torch swayed in his arms, illuminating several areas of the tunnel. He could hear the scream again from the darkness behind him, getting closer, following him. Eventually, with his chest burning and his legs like jelly, he made it back to the entrance of the tunnel, where his colleagues were sitting on the edge of the platform. They looked up and saw Harold shaking, sweat pouring from his head, muttering incoherent gibberish about a screaming woman. Even before they got close to the spot, the tunnel was filled with an ice-cold air and the ominous feeling was felt by everyone who was present. The scream erupted, loudly piercing the shadows and filling the ears of the terrified group. The men bolted from the tunnel, refusing to return to work at the tunnels of Farringdon Station. Legend has it that the spectre is that of an 18th century hat merchant who was murdered by her employer, who unceremoniously dumped her body in a shallow grave. Reports of the terrifying spectre are still being reported to this day. Coming up on Eerie Earth, we will venture back down to the underground stations underneath the streets of London. Welcome back to Eerie Earth. Get your ticket ready and join me on board as I tell you more ghostly tales that plague the London Underground. The ghostly sounds and cries of Bethnal Green Station. Susan and her husband Mark had been on their monthly date night and Mark had decided to treat his wife to a lovely meal in a nice restaurant that they'd been thinking about going to for a while. They enjoyed their meal and had a sedate walk back to the station to catch the last train home. The station itself was busy with revellers and people trying to get home after a night out. Friday nights were always the same and the mass of people made Mark feel a little bit uncomfortable. When the couple reached the platform, a large group of people had begun to congregate, waiting for the train to arrive. Mark led his wife down to the end of the platform away from the group to keep her safe from the large crowd but to also have a little privacy so they could continue their conversation. After a few minutes of waiting, the tunnel at the far end of the platform was flooded with lights as the headlights from the train came into view and the large metal snake stopped at the platform. An alarm sounded as the doors slid open with a swoosh and the crowd crammed into the train, leaving no space for the couple or for a handful of people still left on the platform. Mark sighed as the doors closed and the train trundled to a start and disappeared through the tunnel. The platform was deathly quiet. With just a couple and two more people who were standing at the far end, Susan looked at the time on the board and it stated in bright orange writing that the train was due in ten minutes. They sat down on a metal chair which was less than inviting, perched on the edge, ensuring not to sit back on dirty, sticky backrest. For several minutes, the couple sat in silence as they waited for the train to arrive. As they waited, Mark stood up and began walking towards the opening of the tunnel with his hands in his pockets to stave off the cold air that filled the station. As he reached the pitch-black opening, he peered into the darkness to see what he could see. 
As his eyes slowly adjusted to the darkness, in the distance he could hear a strange sound, exceptionally low and distant. He turned to his wife, who was still sitting in the chair, staring at the filthy tiled floor, her hands in her pockets. He turned back to the tunnel as the sound started to get louder and clearer. He could make out the sound to be that of a woman and a child sobbing. He turned back to the platform to see if anyone else had heard the sound, but no one seemed to be reacting. Now intrigued, he took his hands out of his pockets and placed them on the suit-covered walls of the tunnel and leaned over the edge to see if he could hear the sound clearer. The sound happened again, louder than last time, now echoing through the darkness. He turned to his wife, who was now looking at him with a perplexed look on her face. She stood up and slowly and tentatively walked over to her husband and listened to the sound that was radiating from the darkness. The sobbing was getting louder and much more intense, more pained. The couple looked back at the platform and their fellow passengers, who too were waiting on the platform, came over to the pair to try and make sense of the strange noise they could hear. The distressing sound of the woman and the child sobbing intensely exploded out of the tunnel filling the platform, followed by the sounds of men and women in distress. Screams and disembodied cries filled the air. The couple jumped back from the edge of the platform and the other two passengers did the same, all four bolting from the platform and along the corridor. As they passed the security office, Mark began to bang on the door loudly to get the intention of the station guard. Eventually, after what felt like hours, the door to the office opened and the large stature of the security guard filled the doorway. He asked what was wrong and was greeted with a jumble of noise which spewed from the quadruplet. He gestured for them to slow down and asked one at a time to tell what happened. Mark began to regale him with the noises that came from the darkness of the tunnel and filled the platform. The security guard looked stunned and replied with his own encounter of hearing the noises, explaining his story. Together with the security guard, they made their way to the platform to see if they could hear the noises, but the ominous disturbing sounds had stopped. The final train of the evening arrived and the four passengers boarded, leaving the noises behind in Bethnal Station. It's said that during the Second World War, the station was used as an air raid shelter. During a heavy bombardment of London by German bombers, an anti-air raid gun that was situated outside of the station went off to defend the city. The noise was so loud that it reverberated through the station, sounding like a bomb had hit it, sending everyone who was in the makeshift shelter to panic and flee, causing a mass stampede where men, women and children were trampled to death as people tried to get out of the station. It's thought that 173 people lost their lives on this faithful day. The Angel of Aldgate It was a wet and windy Wednesday night when Donald arrived at Aldgate Station to do some repair work on the roof of the station. He entered with his tools in his hands and shook off the water from his raincoat, droplets splashing on his floor. His thick black hair was sticking to his forehead as large droplets dribbled down his face. His bushy beard was sodden with rainwater as he rubbed his face with the collar of his jacket. Heavy rain over the past few weeks had caused some water damage to the ceilings above the platform and Donald had been given the task of replacing some tiles and repairing the ceiling. When he arrived on the platform he assessed the situation, realising he would need to get his scaffolding to reach the spot where the water was coming through. A large puddle on the platform had appeared below a steady stream of water coming from the ceiling. 
He returned to his truck and started to bring down metal poles, ladders, wooden planks and large stone weights to begin setting up his scaffolding and his barriers to prevent public from coming anywhere near his working area. After about an hour, he climbed the rickety ladder of the scaffolding and steadied himself as he studied the water that was seeping through the tiles. After several moments of deliberation, he removed his tools from his toolbox and began to work on the wet ceiling. Several minutes passed and Donald had struggled to get the tiles off the ceiling but was now staring at a blank wet wall where a large crack had appeared, with water slowly oozing out of it. The platform had begun to fill up with passengers waiting for their train to arrive, a hive of activity as the noise of chatter rose and filled his ears, making it hard to concentrate. Donald looked around at the various people on the platform, many watching him repair the ceiling. A wave of nervousness flooded over him as he felt like he was on stage. As he examined the crack in the wall, trying to decide what to do about it, he could feel the scaffolding shake slightly as the vibrations from the train coming through the tunnel flowed up the legs of the scaffolding. After a few seconds, a large train burst through the tunnel, a large gust of wind hitting the platform, shaking the scaffolding, causing Donald to grab onto the pole to steady himself. His stomach was in knots. The train stopped and the familiar sound of the doors opening with a swoosh filled the platform as the voice of the announcer crackled through the speakers. Mind the gap! The passengers flooded through the door and the platform was full of people coming off the train. After a few seconds, the door closed and the train departed, slowly entering the opposite tunnel and disappearing. Donald returned to the task at hand, trying to repair the crack in the ceiling. He climbed down from the scaffolding and went to his truck to grab a black bucket and some plaster which he returned with. He filled the bucket with water and struggled to carry the now heavy full bucket up the ladder of the scaffolding, placing it on the wooden platform, pulling himself over the bar. He opened the bag of plaster and began to pour it into the bucket, watching the water turn from a liquid into a thick white paste. He stirred the mixture, grabbing a clump of now thick plaster and smearing it on his trowel and began to fill the crack in the ceiling. He took a step back to admire his workmanship to make sure he'd filled the right area. As he stepped back, his left foot got caught in the bag of plaster, which was now half full, and he stumbled backwards, dropping his trowel on the platform below, wet plaster smashing on the tiles. Donald lost his footing, falling onto the pole of the scaffolding, which he had not secured tightly, as the pole came unhinged, popping out of its socket. Donald plunged from the scaffolding, falling through the air. His stomach flew into his throat as the air rushed out of his lungs. His heart skipped a beat. He fell for what felt like hours and landed with a loud crash on the tracks below. As he landed, he heard and felt a loud crack as his back collided with the metal rail of the track. As pain coursed through his body, he let out a gargled scream as electricity from the track exploded through his body, causing him to pulsate and writhe. As the onlookers from the platform gasped and screamed, his body stopped moving. He lay still and silent. His breathing laboured and slow. Smoke rose from his body as his charred skin sizzled through the silence. After a few seconds, noise in the platform erupted again as the people clambered down to help him. Screams from people filled the air as they watched on in horror at the scene which played out in front of them. As the helpers approached his body in order to try and help, they stopped when they clambered down from the platform as they witnessed a white figure appear beside the man. 
They described the figure as an elderly woman dressed in white. She had thinning white hair and wore a long white robe. Onlookers said she was kneeling down beside Donald and was seen to be stroking his head gently. Light from the figure filled the entrance to the tunnel and the whole platform was filled with a gentle feeling of calm and tranquility. Within minutes, paramedics had arrived at the scene and taken over control of the platform, ushering people from the underground and closing down the station to make sure they could give Donald the best treatment that they could and the dignity that he deserved. As Donald lay unconscious with the paramedics treating his wound and preparing him for transportation to the ambulance, the white figure stood in the tunnel entrance watching on. With a soft smile on her face, she nodded and the paramedics took Donald on a stretcher through the station. As he was lifted from the tracks onto the platform, the figure slowly faded away, never to be seen again. Allgate Station is one of the most haunted stations in the London Underground, even supposedly having their own paranormal logbook, which makes notes on any paranormal occurrences that happen within the station. Although the white figure was frightening, many believe that this figure saved the man's life, dubbing her the Angel of Aldgate. Although the names of the characters in these stories have been embellished and the stories have been enhanced, they are based on real encounters and the reports of the ghostly happenings within the underground stations that make up the world-famous London Underground. Thank you very much for listening, and if you missed an episode, be sure to subscribe to Midnight.fm to catch up on any episodes that you've missed. Join me next week when I'll be telling you the tale of the infamous Enfield Poltergeist. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye for now.